What is up, Asymmetry? Happy summer solstice. That's right. We've crossed the longest day of the year. I do hold some degree of sadness every time we cross the longest day of the year because it means that things are moving in the opposite direction. But the optimism at Mirai is strong. Ira and I kind of recap our spring adventures and experiences in the garden and continue to hammer away at the, this uh, ever-evolving body of knowledge that is uh, fueling this garden in directions that's never gone before. Nutrition, activities, climbing giant sequoias, lots of stories of adventure. Sit back, relax, and enjoy, y'all. There's a lot of things on the precipice of being completed that are, Dude. That are making enormous improvements to just the, the flow aesthetically, the functionality of the garden. Like It's, it's a good time right now to be at Bonsai Mirai. You know what's so interesting is I did not realize how, I'm sure everybody feels this way, when you make improvements to your facility, and your facility could be a garden that holds like 800 trees, or it could be a garden that holds like 20 trees. Anytime you make an improvement, an intelligent improvement, you know, like an aesthetically pleasing and a functional improvement, you realize how cumbersome it was working within that environment. Prior to that improvement, <laughs> dragging the hose around uh, an area that you never anticipated to have to drag a hose around. And you're like, ah, oh, don't catch that branch. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had, you know, the original benches in the garden were like pretty, a pretty great, they were a great design. They were super aesthetically pleasing, but like it was along the lines of fundamental and functional bonsai garden layouts to date, right? Like Mr. Kimura had straight runs of benches. Pretty much every bonsai professional's garden that I've ever been to has straight runs of benches. And I understand it's like both the accepted, it's the practical, it's the economical. Efficient. It's the efficient. Yeah. But um, man, those big straight runs, they just get in the way. They're just, they're like a barrier. As much as they are like a bench that holds things, they're also like a barrier that I've, I've, come to, I've come to recognize uh, straight lines at Mirai are, are, are a little bit of a challenge for us. So taking those out, you know, and here's the thing, when you have a bench in a straight line, you also lack the ability to, to function in the, you know, the depth perspective of arranging your trees. And when you start to take advantage of the same footprint, but you're using three-dimensional space as well. To everything changes. Anyways, I don't know. I don't know. No, that's I, great. I don't the, know why I'm going so deep into this. No, well, we talked about it a lot. And the other thing, just as a, I think a nice footnote to that, is just the getting the orientation correct. And those 90-degree angles, especially in the main guard and some of the new monkey poles that have been installed, allowing like the, br the branch that you really want to be oriented yeah. towards the sun. Yeah. Like that's a powerful thing yeah. too. And And when you see the linear setup, I remember even talking to Ted Matson about it at the Huntington, and they had a certain orientation. I can't remember if it was east, west, or north, south, but he was saying it didn't really work, and he wanted to flip it to the other yeah. direction. So there's all these little things, and it's like you always have to choose one or the other yep. when you do that setup, you know? Or, or <laughs> you can, you can, can re-engineer the whole garden, which, yeah, when you think about it, when you came on... We were excavating for the shade structure as mm -hmm. well as ripping out every concrete base of every wood wooden bench, which there's a, there's two benches there's left. There's two. There's two. <laughs> there's two runs left. And we got to get them out of with there. With the monkey poles that are getting done now, we'll transition the yeah. trees. And yeah. then it's like we're you like see real it happening. Close. You can see it happening. Yeah. We're like real close to divesting ourselves of. They of, look so out of place now. And before they yeah. looked, I mean, they're still great. They're still a great functional bench, you know? Yep. They look at, yeah, they do look out of place. Yeah. 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 yeah I, but like, I didn't, 
I think like last spring, I didn't plan on replacing every bench. It was just that they had hit their expiration point, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now we're replacing every bench. How can we rethink this and be more intelligent? And historically, I get to like the midpoint of the year and I'm like moving trees, moving trees, moving trees, moving trees. Because like things come out of the greenhouse that like, you know, typically April 15th is, 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 the, is the red button for a greenhouse emptying. And then it takes like a month or two to get things like out acclimated from greenhouse to shady outdoor to more sun outdoor to full wind, full sun outdoor. And now you've got the freedom, but then like you're entering the summer season where you're now getting temperatures in the nineties and some of those trees need to be under the shade structure. So then that again, changes things. And I, I typically get to like the middle or end of June and I'm just like, fuck it. I, 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 I've moved so many trees around so much that I'm just exhausted of it. Yeah. If everything is getting sun and is able to be watered, like I, 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 I tap out. There's been a lot of movement. Yeah. But this year I feel compl- yeah. this, I, I will say this year, I feel really different about it. I'm like still, I've been like observing the the energy dump of garden building over the course of this spring. I've just sort of been like very, uh, coherent to my, my energy expenditures, you know, with everything that we've been doing. And I still feel pretty good about it. So that, that to me personally tells me that like, I'm still functioning at a manageable pace, uh, to be as long as, as long as we can see what we've started through to completion, mm-hmm. that, that is an absolute must. It's an absolute must because, so many things here have sat for several years without being completed. And it's an absolute energy drain because you like see it and you're like, gosh, that looks terrible. It'd be so nice if we had just finished that little section off. Mm -hmm. Last 10% takes just as long as the first 90 though. That's the problem. The strangest thing that always seems to be true. Yeah. To finish something, to truly finish something and put a bow on it. It's, it's twice the time. Yeah. Well here it's like you, you, you spend that last effort really like, kind of curating and landscaping and mm-hmm. it's like you know the hardscape softscape breaks that make you know the temperature not to be like a big heat sink heat yeah. dump area and th- like those kinds of of moments are like functionally really really useful aesthetically beautiful you know it's like there's a good there's a good balance there too well and i just look at like i just look at the time that we're putting into these monkey pools so we you know augured out 27 holes for monkey poles. You've got to go get the poles from wherever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've driven all over the, I've driven Western all, United States. I've driven all over or, Oregon. I mean, and like in, top, in top to bottom, left to right too. to find, you know, telephone poles uh, to use because they still are just such an incredibly durable and aesthetic. Anybody in Oregon or Washington, <laughs> if you find some or within an eight hour drive of uh, Portland, need, let us know. We'll come pick them up. Need telephone poles. Yeah. But like, I mean, so you got to go get them, which takes me to some very random I was in some dude's backyard in the middle of, um, Oh gosh. Outside Corvallis and timber country, uh, Alaska, Alaska, Oregon, a town of like 20 people. And then this guy's like, yeah, follow me. And I'm like following him. This is how it ends. On this like, oh, it was full on deliverance. And it, he like turns <laughs> off this like 
county road onto like a dirt road into this like dense forest and then we get to this like fence and he like opens up this i'm thinking okay here's like a a notable driveway nope he like takes a left turn into basically like a blackberry field and i'm like following him and then like 200 yards down this very discreet and invisible road is a, a manufactured home like tucked away clearly not legally placed on that parcel of land and in front of it is a pile of telephone poles and I was just like well yeah of course this feels about right like that's yeah. pretty much when you see like the monkey poles at Mirai that's the general story that would exist in going to get those is I was somewhere I shouldn't have been with somebody I didn't want to be with doing something that felt you know f- fairly precarious yeah as soon as you lose cell service you know you're getting close that's exactly it i just lost cell service it must be just up this road well and i was like where did you get all these poles and he's like yeah my neighbor gave them to me and i was like it's so interesting i don't think people really realize but like you know utility companies used to freely give away telephone poles and now because of the litigious nature of uh, the United States and life in the United States, you know, a telephone pole somewhere caused somebody cancer for sure. Probably hundreds of thousands of people, honestly, you know, in terms of the creosote plants and everything that they did as super sites along the river and waterways of, of North America. But I digress. I, I digress. You know, like somewhere somebody, you know, experienced a hardship, sued somebody. Utility companies now, you know, are very, very reluctant to give away those poles. And so you got to go... Same searching thing with the high and low, far and wide. And then here's what I didn't know is that a telephone pole uh, east of the the Pacific mountain regions, whether it's the Sierras or it's the Cascades, if you go east of that, that, that region, the telephone poles are treated differently than west of that region because you're dealing with two different types of rot. You're dealing with a dry rot on the east side. Mm. You're dealing with a wetter uh, rot and bacteria and organisms on the, on the west side. And so we really are limited to the poles that we can get for the f- from areas on the west side, on the wetter side. Yeah. Yeah, that, that feels a little bit... <laughs> I'm flashing the W for all yeah, you Tupac Shakur uh, fans out there. Out for the homies. It feels a little bit like the galvanized steel wire conversation. Yeah. I mean, when you order galvanized steel wire online, it's it seems like it's perfectly fine. But there's something different about the stuff that's sold like locally mm-hmm. out here. It mm-hmm. does seem to last another season or two mm-hmm. in the container. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be the same thing. They're like, hey, we treat it with a little different version of the hot dip, whatever they're yeah. doing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. I think electric fence wire has a different coating on top of the galvanization. I think also... Ultimately, longevity of any wire in your bonsai container has to do with the hardness of your water and the mineral content because uh, it just reacts. It totally reacts. That's probably the part that I haven't been thinking about. And and it, it's taken me a long time because like you put, you take our galvanized steel wire that is like solid dependably eight years in the container here, eight to 10 years, maybe, you know, the tree's already solidified itself by the time it deteriorates and you send that down to Southern California and you might have one year of, of lifespan in that and then it's toast. That's exhausting. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so if you think about augering out, you know, 27 holes, shoveling those out, going and getting the poles, cutting the poles, putting the poles in the hole, then putting the concrete in there. Leveling, and plumbing. Curve, and then you come back with a chainsaw and you cut 27 poles yet again to the correct height. Mm-hmm. You assume, because I'm not a 
master chainsaw user that some of them aren't going to get cut true and I've got to cut them a second time. So let's just say there's an, another, you know, 13 or 14. I mean, like, you know, this is this is days of work. It is. And then mounting the tops. I don't That's even been mess verified. with that. Thank, yeah. thank goodness Miguel builds good tops. And thank goodness Al figured out how to mount them true and flush. And they square. look good. The ones over the weekend the look best. good. They look great. Yeah, he's the best. He's so There's good. something about when the alignment is right, too. Ugh. Like, if it's a little bit off, it's it's like the human eye really picks up oh, on these, really little, these little new... I mean, it could be like five degrees between two, and you're just like, something doesn't feel Yeah, right. it doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. And around really... here, consistently, like, we've been pretty good. And the couple times that we've noticed it, it's like always like, well, let's fix it. Yeah. You know? Because it's yeah. going to bother you for... Yeah, it's going to eat you. It's going to... I mean, like, my, my brain just fixates on that stuff, too. Yeah. I can't stand it. <laughs> I think the other thing, um, you know, this can also be a super deep subject, but the health of the garden and things like that, there's like a positivity that kind of comes with like, Hey, we're doing good things. The trees are responding to that. Um, that kind of helps keep the juices flowing for like, hey, let, let's get them all set up. Let's get the nice bench spaces set up. Let's get the new monkey poles in there. And like, all, everything is like, you know, it kind of feeds, it feeds itself. Yeah, I totally bit. agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Having the, having the, the garden just alive in the landscape, glowing. the landscape is glowing too, which is really, that, that is, that has really been soul feeding, but uh, yeah, it, it does. It does. It, it does perpetuate the energy, right? And you said what the other day, you're like, you were digging those holes for the monkey poles and you're like, well, a, a couple of these holes are so dry, I guess it's time to start watering the landscape, <laughs> which seems like maybe we're a little earlier than I don't last know. year. I don't, know, I don't know. I don't even know how it's possible because we got more rain later. We had like uh, the wettest April, the wettest guys, March, cold, just, cold and wet. And suddenly everything another is record. dry. Like we haven't really, I don't really understand the diet. This is like the greater dynamics of like the ecological system. Like when you, when you talk about, I was, I've been reading, continuing to read, it's a very slow read, our national parks by John Muir. And I've been reading it to, to Taft and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it helps put Taft to sleep at night. It puts I'm, both of us to okay. sleep at night. <laughs> there have been chapters that have been phenomenal. I mean, like the bear hunting in Yosemite back in the day, phenomenal. But like John Muir talked about in Yosemite, they used to graze sheep up in Tuolumne Meadows at the very top of Yosemite. And he said, you know, when the sheep graze the natural grass, then it doesn't hold the snow. And then the runoff happens faster. And then you get to a drought in the summer because the inability to hold the snow and have a slower runoff causes all the water to come out too fast at once. And then it, it, it changes the conditions in the latter portion of summer. And I was just like, God, you know, to be able to observe that prolonged impact of this sort of, you know, domestication on the native natural wild landscape is pretty wild. That's really intense. Yeah, isn't it though? And who knows? I mean, he's hypothesizing these things, but I think like John Muir was tapped into, I see this with Randy. You know, as a collector, it's like Randy, Randy's just tapped into something that nobody else, nobody else, it's, it's not within anybody else's realm to be tapped into. He the amount just, of time he spends out there and the observations and. Yeah. His intuitive understanding. Some of it I think is like experience. I think some of it comes from just like a very like epigenetic soulful place that's passed down, uh, through DNA. I really do yeah. believe that. 
and somehow John Muir was like tapped into the beating heart of the ecology of these wild places. I mean, he spent so much time in the Everglades understanding that environment, Yellowstone, Yosemite, the Redwoods, like he just... Full immersion. Yeah, full immersion, full immersion. I mean, he almost died so many times out there. Uh, there's a great story in our national parks where he comes like face to face with a bear. And he was like, I've never seen a bear before. So I wanted to like scare it. So he like ran out into this field and the bear did not go anywhere. And he was like, everybody Ooh. told me, everybody told me the bear would run. Turns Ooh. out didn't run. And there I was. <laughs> this is, yeah. The, 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 the obvious analogy is Randy's text the other day about his recent bear encounter. It's like right. the, the, the through lines between uh -huh. these two gentlemen right now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm super, uh, enjoying this spring. Maybe I think it's also fun now because with so many, so much of the garden built, it is that last 10% of a lot of these spaces is getting ticked off this year. Well, the shape, I mean, the shape, the garden structure being able to function as rain protection or shade in the way we have it set up where it's Pretty effortless. Pretty effortless now. Yeah, to yeah. get those those three different bays. Yeah, to, pretty effortless at this point. It's really nice. Yeah. And you feel like the flexibility. It's also like there's like a safety factor there where it's like if something happens, it's like I think we're we're more prepared, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and I, I think like I'm, I'm such a firm believer in the landscape around bonsai trees, like the the garden environment around the trees really changing their health and capacity to endure and their cultivation and it can also be a harbor right it can be a harbor for negative things it can be a harbor for pests it can be a harbor for disease but technically if you get your trees up to a significant amount of health the ecosystem should also share that health which has been a big part for us this year of like amending all of the planting beds and stuff because like i knew that stuff from college but i didn't know that stuff like you yeah. can know book you can know book smarts, right? But mm -hmm. you, but like practical knowledge about an environment and the clay of Oregon and all the crazy shit that happens here with incessant rain followed by incredible heat and stuff like that. It's like you don't know how necessary all that stuff is until you plant something, you know, and then this is just straight up landscaping, but you like plant something and then for 10 years you watch it suffer and then you amend the soil and plant something and you watch it in one year explode and you're just like, uh-huh, I, I, yeah. I see. Yep. Yeah, I, read, I read about that. <laughs> I read about that. I wonder if that, that heavy rain, like the record rains, really got the deep ground, deep root saturation, you know, like... Saturation, I like I don't know, like maybe yeah. that helped the landscape. I, I don't know. I think so. It feels like the landscape I think really so. is popping. I think this year. so. Yeah, something happened. Something happened. I think like a nice cold winter. I think good solid snow. I think deep penetrating rainfall. Like all of those things clearly happened. And it might, you know, what's interesting is in the larger macro landscape, the heat from when was the heat? Twenty twenty one. The heat from twenty twenty one caused so much damage that you saw in 2022. Mm -hmm. So like in 2023, we might just be seeing the recovery and the rebound of the yeah, heat in 2021. Because they say the native environment is delayed by anywhere from one to five years in terms of response to, to stress. 
which I think is really discouraging. Yeah, it's tough because you don't you see something happen and you're like, was this something recent or was this something that was brewing for a long time and just kind of exacerbated based on right. a, a recent, you know, like actually this year, I remember the first couple of times we hit like mid 80s and then we went right to like mid 90s or something. Yeah. And you were like, we're going to see some some changes oh, yeah. right now because uh, you'll find out like which repots were more successful, which mm-hmm. one's kind of like, you know, there's a delineation of like the tree shit doing some quick shedding and like mm-hmm. I'm keeping the efficient foliage. Like I got to say though, the silica, I, I don't know if it's the silica foliar treatments or not, but like we just, some of it was serendipity and some of it was just like good, gritty, hard nosed labor, like being on top of it, committing to the process but like hitting those things, hitting the trees with a foliar silica before that heat. That was good timing. It, it really, I, I felt like. Seemed to make a difference. Oh, and I, it's I like, mean, who knows? Yeah, we, who it's knows? It's hard to be 100% on that. And I think like just using silica, I don't think that you would see it have the impact. If like somebody was like, oh, okay, so I should foliar with silica before heat. It's like, well, if you balance your nutrition, uh that's the 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 key and silica is a part of that nutritional mm-hmm. balancing but combined nutritional balancing with silica it's pretty powerful what what it seems to be able to uh do in terms of um and we've observed the fortifying di- yeah we've ob- observed that difference this year i think even just to last year it's because we did some of the silica last year mm-hmm. but we were still kind of fine-tuning a lot of the stuff within the plant mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. it's like now that we've gotten to over that what you never know how big the mountain is, you know, till you yeah. get up, you know, but now yeah, it feels no like, now it feels like we're kind of in a better place and we're just kind of, we're not playing the big pendulum swing. It's just like, we're just nudging things yeah, yeah, yeah. in a more positive back, direction. Back to, back to, back to small, back mm-hmm. to small, small little nudges. But I think, um, you know, the, the, the thing David was saying as we were like looking at at the the tests and and everything from like recent stuff is he's like man it's got to be it's got to be in the roots like the improvement has got to be in the roots because like the trees are so healthy mm-hmm. so notably healthy and vigorous like strong in a way i haven't even even in the early days of mirai there was always like a because of phomopsis and the wetness here and because of the massive biological load being out in the woods there was always like this apprehension like oh is it is it coming is something coming and now i just kind of feel like yeah maybe there's something out there but like Mm -hmm. we're 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 pretty good like we're good i feel i feel uh, uh a relief in terms of this fortifying nutrition that i had never felt with and and some of it also came from my experiences in japan where it's like as an apprentice, you're you're constantly fearful of is there gonna be sawfly eating the needles off of a pine right before exhibition? Is there yeah. gonna be spider mites decimating a, the backside of a juniper in the area that you're watering? Is there gonna be borers crawling all, all over the trunk, you know, wiping out half or an entire you know, priceless tree? Is there going to be scale insects or adelgids taking out the, you know, the apical tip and the answer to all of those is get out the big vat, mix up a, an incredibly toxic chemical and take the entire day to spray every bonsai tree and every landscape tree in the garden and let's sterilize this place. And it was just like that um, that apprehension was like exhausting. You know, it was exhausting because the 
it was so punishing as a apprentice watering and missing something and then having to take the brunt of the responsibility for it. It's like, and I understand from Mr. Kamur's perspective that he had to put a lot of trust in the apprentices and that's how you learn how to handle those things. But it wasn't a sustainable approach. The chemical approach just seems so gnarly. When, it's the, tough. The more, the more you hear about it and yeah, then you, you see people sharing it, um, I think more and more online too, you see people posting things on Instagram or other places when they're doing chemical application and talking about weekly treatment. It's just like, man, that's intense. You know, it's really intense. It's really intense when we start to look at how much of the, um, how much of that chemicals making it into our body and the waterways and the, you know, and like the, the food that we eat and everything, it's like the amount of glycosate in the human body now. And the, the way that that is altering just like, and I don't know to what degree I'm not going down that path, but I can tell you just coming back to like the tree nutrition, when David says it's got to be in the roots that like these things are really improving the buffering capacity of Akadama is undeniable, right? A clay, like this is fundamental horticulture and soil science. Like a clay has a high buffering capacity as a soil particle and Akadama is a clay, which means it, a buffering capacity means it resists change from its inherent character, right? So it resists a change to pH. It resists a change to any sort of nutrient, um, uh, contamination or containment. And so like to get a plant in a bonsai container to a point where it is unhealthy takes several years of negative inputs or talk, you know, accumulation of toxicity. Well, if you want to get a plant out of that state, you've got the same time to get it out of it as it took to get it in it. You can't just like build up toxicity. The Akadama has that high buffering capacity. So once it goes bad, it's going to buffer getting good again. Then yeah. you got to treat and treat and treat and treat with all the good stuff to get it to the good side. That was last August. But if, you can, like. yeah, if you can shift it to the good side, mm -hmm. man, you have so much room. And this is really where I think like people are like, man, I've been treating with this fertilizer for so many years and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked. And then it stopped working or like now I have disease issues or now I have to spray more for insects or now I've got, you know, this and that and this tree was healthy and now all of a sudden it's not and what happened and it's like, well, your roots kept scaling the Akadama and you kept applying the same potentially positive thing, but the same thing over the course of time will inevitably, it's like, how long can the human body survive on any singular food? You know, and it's like eventually you do get deficiencies and toxicities from eating the same thing in a, in a, in a tree and a plant is no different. You're eventually going to get to toxicities and deficiencies. And then all of a sudden you've got this unchangeable force, which is this clay particle that forms the background backbone of nutrient holding capacity in the containerized environment. And it's not easy to get Akadama to release its cation exchange sites. And it's not easy to get Akadama to change towards the bad. And it's not easy to get Akadama to change towards the good. But man, when you get it to change towards the good, I am acutely aware at this point of what can, I mean, I'm just looking at Chris's Rocky Mountain Juniper out here, which was oh historically... Gosh, yeah historically super long internodes. It's the Colorado variety of Juniper scopulorum, which is blue, has soft deadwood, has long stringy internodes and floppy foliage. And that thing is freaking pumped up, rigid, short, tight, compact. I've never seen that tree grow that way before. Yeah. And 
the it grew enough that the pruning was like necessary, like pretty early in the season. Absolutely, it, for, it was the first prune, Yeah, it was the first pruned tree, and now we're starting to see all the Rockies. Like, oh geez, we better. <laughs> we, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy even just blowing out the ponderosas and the limber pines this year and having them big, juicy, long needles and, and just going for it. Cause I think the back budding, I think the, the clarification of the vascular system, you know, like nobody ever talked about chloride being, you know, and, and I've talked a lot about metal toxicities and, and, you know, some of that characteristic of Akadama. But one thing that we're seeing consistently now that so many more people are testing with apicals, like chloride is a real issue. Yeah. And people are going to be like, good God, now chloride is an issue. You were talking about aluminum and manganese and potassium and magnesium, calcium and phosphorus deficient. And now chloride's an issue. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's all just part of the same soupy stew of, of nutritional balancing, you know? And it's like each each time we get tests from different parts of the country on different species or the same species and we have this massive database that's been building, uh, you start to realize like what are the outliers if calcium and magnesium ratios are good, if your phosphorus is at an acceptable level, if you've got, you know, the right forms of nitrogen in your system, if your metals aren't super high, like chloride alone can completely, can completely cause your tree to be yellow. I mean, it can, it can absolutely yellow and cause tremendous branch dieback just with high chloride. And all of a sudden you treat the chloride levels and people are going to say, what do you treat it with? And it's, there's no one, one stop solution. You would have to treat it by balancing everything until the tree can process the chloride out. You can't take any of this out of the tree. You bring all of the levels of every other nutrition up to that toxic level that meets it in a proportion. And then the tree synthesizes all of those metabolic pieces and brings them all down to a sustainable level together. That's how balancing nutrition works. And if you bring chloride down below 3000 parts per million in a tree, you'll see the tree's color change dramatically. You bring calcium up over magnesium, you'll see the tree's color change dramatically. You know, you bring potassium in proportion with calcium, you'll see the tree's growth rate balance and, and the, the quality of the growth increase significantly. It's like, these are all just tremendous tremendous you balance your metals and your micros and all of a sudden you start to see the tree fortify uh and have a really beautiful uh capacity to back but it's 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 really something yeah that's been so strange because i i mean not coming from the background that you have with you know your education it's like i always was just wondering like why would a spruce act like a pine? you know like some of these things it's like wouldn't a juniper need something and there are a little bit there are some of those things that are appear to be some subtle differences, but overall it's like, there's some broad brushstrokes that have been working garden wide on. I mean, I don't know how this garden compares to other gardens in in the United States or elsewhere, but it's like the species variation that we have here is pretty significant. Yeah. And it seems to be a lot of these things that we've been doing with David and Apical work universally. Well, in last year they didn't, Right. Like last year, we had to treat the limber pine different than the two needle pines. We had to treat the five needles and the two needles differently. And, and there is still there for, is still some of that. And yeah. there's but it's it's far smaller yeah. now. Yeah. It's far smaller. It turns out that like last year's observations were just like getting the tree through, you know, this phase of detox. And then like now they're they're pretty much 
And, and it's been interesting too, because I thought, okay, well, so much of this is based on, on water pH and water pH certainly is the continual input that impacts nutrient availability and, and can lead to deficiencies and toxicities. But like trees that are in an alkaline pH, trees that are in acidic pH, both of them are, are from, from the test results that we've seen across the board, both of them are still calcium deficient. And when they're calcium deficient, that, that starts to become a little bit of an issue. Now, the, I think the thing that becomes a little different is in an alkaline pH, they don't have the same amount of metal availability and metal toxicity, right? Magnesium's not as high, aluminum's not as high, manganese is not as high. And that's freaking awesome, right? Mm -hmm. But like, how would you fix all of those toxicities anyway, silica and calcium, or what's going to override those and then balancing your micros? So it's like pretty much the same. It's, yeah. it's, it is, it is pretty universal. And David had come in saying, Hey, listen, man, I don't have a specific range for Rocky mountain juniper versus Sierra juniper versus Japanese black pine versus, uh, you know, North American limber pine versus a, a Japanese maple or European beach or uh tamarind. But he's, but he did say universally, what I see is that all plants benefit from you know, having the backbone of building new plant tissue, which is calcium, mm -hmm. which is so interesting because we're just so fed that nitrogen is the resource. You know, nitrogen, nitrogen, yeah. nitrogen, nitrogen. I still have that instinct, even after all that we've done, when, when we see the wrecks come through and it's like, huh, no nitrogen. It's always like a little bit of a surprise, but it seems like the calcium has been producing the better growth even when we haven't really deep, them. deep green yeah, color. Yeah, deep. It's, it's such I a mean, weird I'm thing. seeing, I'm seeing spruces produce a color that I've never seen before. I mean, it's like deep baby blue on the Colorados. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, that conversation people always have about, you know, what to feed the trees in the fall. You do the, mm -hmm. what is it? Zero ten ten or whatever, you know, don't give them nitrogen. And it's like, well, we're not giving them nitrogen and it's like, they're growing like crazy. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like, counter to a lot of these yep. different common things that we've heard, you know, throughout, I mean, any plant cultivation or whatever, yeah. bonsai yeah. for sure. It's yeah. like, don't do this. Don't give them nitrogen. It's like, well, we're, we're not, we're not stopping the growth though. How much, I mean, we've treated with nitrogen. We're in June. We've treated with nitrogen once. Maybe once. I mean, One we're, just, time, we're just starting another big spring. cycle and there's a couple that have some that, that's, uh, that's that amino but, um, yeah, it's been weird. It's been really weird. Yeah. I mean, because everything, everything, everything that I've ever been told or uh, taught about bonsai is more nitrogen. I mean, the amount of nitrogen given to the trees in Japan is just phenomenal. When you see a bonsai tree with like 30 or 40 fertilizer baskets on the surface of it. And you're just like, my gosh, <laughs> you know, and, those pictures. and ultimately do you, you know what that tree is, right? That's like Neo being plugged into the matrix, sitting in that bath of nutrition, you know, like being, being, being like farmed. raised by the machine. Yes, exactly. Being farmed. It's just like you are plugged into an intravenous chemical dump and, and it's like, yes, you can keep somebody alive on a ventilator system, right? And like, 
intravenously feed them, but it doesn't, and this is like, I digress. I'm not talking about, you know, that's a bit complicated discussion, (laughs) but I'm just saying like you could, you can keep the human body alive without feeding it whole foods, but it takes a lot of supplemental chemicals and you got, you got disease issues that come on, you got infections, you got parasites, you got staff, you got you, all of these things. Yeah, it sounds like my 20s. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> easy now. Easy now. Easy, easy. easy. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, no, but it's like, um, it does, it does become, it does become a choice. And I'm. Yeah, it's, it's a little, this is a, probably a, one of the easiest analogies for people to, to, to under, it's like the whole foods diet. We're trying to give, you know, all these things that people talk about. It's like, you know, real food that's, you know, grown in, in, a, in a sustainable way without a bunch of other BS added into it with pesticides and mm-hmm. whatever. It's like, that's kind of what we're trying to do with the trees and, you know, they're responding accordingly. Well, and I think there's also, you know, like, I think one of the the things that is a little challenging for people is like, okay, so I'm going to go away from this one-stop shop where I'm going to put this pellet on the soil surface and it's going to take care of all my needs and I don't have to think about anything else and I don't have to know any more than that. I'm just going to put that on and things are going to be okay. And if I have to spray it with some chemicals periodically, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, like I think that's probably a lot of people's mentality and I totally, I get it. I get it. The problem is, is when that stops working. And when the chemicals that you apply to compensate stop working, yeah, that's when you that's start when to realize, really well, now we've got a massive, if you thought that it was a lot of work to sustainably feed uh, and nutrition your plants, once you get a plant to a point where the one-stop shop stops working and the the solutions that curb the the you know, byproduct of the one-stop shop stop working. Now you think that it's hard work to sustainably feed this thing? Try pulling that tree out of that situation. It is a freaking nightmare. Yeah, I just think about, you know, spider mites and it's like you got to treat them with at least two different chemicals and play the game and then the babies are immune to this mm-hmm. one and it's like now that. you got to rotate yeah you gotta have three chemical arsenal they've got to attack different stages of the life cycle they've got to have different modes of action they've got to be in a different chemical group you've got to hit it perfectly in terms of timing there's always a risk of phytotoxicity there's yep. always a risk of overspray and sensitive species and now all of a sudden you've got this tree damage yeah, there's and drift on a windy day absolutely and there's like yeah the the, the levels to that in the I mean, the one word, if, if, if things, pathogens, pests, whatever, you know, if they become uh, resistant to the different treatments and there's less chemicals available than ever, and that industry seems to have its own, you know, concerns, issues. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, Absolutely. it's like, what, what do you, what do you do when that stuff stops working? You just watch, you just slowly watch a tree die and you can't control a mite, spider mite population. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just. Yeah. I mean, ultimately you could say like, gosh, you know, bonsai Mirai has been crazy because they, you know, tried this compost extract and they've gone through these nutrient and it's like, when does it all stop? And it's like, well, it stops when you find a solution that means you don't have to, that means you don't have to be leaning on chemicals and, and that, and it feels, it, I mean, who knows? There are so many, it's a three dimensional model of pressures impacting bonsai trees, but certainly it feels like we're on the right track finally, you know? Yeah. You've said, of course, many times in the past few months that it's like the health is better than it's been in the past however many years, but it's also 
for me, like really, because when you're close to it, it's sometimes you don't always like, it looks good, but it's always also like, that's what we're getting used to now. But there's the recurring student base that comes in and people that have been here for, you know, eight, 10 years of students. Mm-hmm. And when they're saying that too, I, I just feel like, and we're not, I'm not asking them, they just go, man, it looks like healthier than it's looked here and that I can ever remember. Ever remember. So, so that's another thing where it's like, it's like when you don't see someone for a long time and you're like, oh, they do look different or they've aged or what, you know, like you notice things about something you haven't seen for a while. And like, that's been really reassuring for me mm-hmm. to get that feedback from people that are, you know, super high level bonsai practitioners. Sure. And like, they know, they know what it looks like, you know? Well, I think, um, I think the thing about Mariah is, is, is there's always been, because, you know, my expectation of health was set by Japanese standards and more than anything, the front portion of Mr. Kamara's garden because people don't get to go into the back portion. So That's you don't, a you very don't important all, point. You don't yeah. know all the things that are trying to be reconciled back there. There's there's a sick ward back there, right? Like yeah. uh, and every upside down cake over there. Every bonsai garden's got some place where there were, you know, trees because not every tree is always in a state of health, obviously, but like you know, that level of health was sort of my expectation. So even here where it's like, man, I have this trepidation of these, you know, pathogens and insects and things impacting the trees, the trees were healthy. They were healthy in terms of robust and growing and big, heavy foliar masses and, and, you know, all measurable things, but they were, and I think this is across the board when you look at, at, at bonsai as a practice with the one-stop shop of nutrition. I think everything is, is you know, one step away from things heading the wrong direction. And that's sort of been my observation of, of collections, public collections, private collections across the country over the past 13 years of being back in the United States and traveling and getting off of that knife's edge and having some calm and and like sturdy dependency on yeah bad things can happen an earthquake could hit tomorrow you know a forest fire could start uh, a heat dome could occur a radical arctic cold front could come through like all of those things are possible and you have to respond to those but being able to settle into bonsai the health of your trees and sort of believe in it and and rest more easy in that uh, has not been something that I've experienced in the past 13 years. And it, and it wasn't something that I experienced in Japan, even though the trees appeared so healthy. It's again, it's like Neo being plugged into this intravenous nutrition and all of the sterilization of the environment that needed to happen to facilitate that. It's 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 that's not where we are at here anymore. And it's freaking awesome. Yeah. It's a good feeling. It is a good feeling. It is a good feeling. I mean, here's the thing though, like there are still insects on some trees mm-hmm. and, and that's an indicator now that there's a little bit of a nutrient imbalance, you know? And so we can test that tree. We can see what the imbalance is. We can fix it. And technically I, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my faith and I want to see if this actually works now that we are, so much more imbalance if we can actually eradicate insects through nutrition, you know, and it's not an eradication. They don't die. They just stop feeding on your tree. They go away is Mm -hmm. what I've been told. And I would love to see that because I'm watching a few junipers that have a scale insect issue 
I have a spruce that has some adelgids and a pine that has some adelgids. Both of these trees would be trees that have indications that there is a nutrient imbalance uh, in terms of the growth, etc. So it's like, can we fix that? Just just strictly with nutrition, can we fix that? And there's got to be obviously a threshold to damage that I'm willing to take before like you've got to pull the ripcord and, and take action on the insect but can nutrition actually can we get it to a point where it can actually solve that issue i would love to know i would mm-hmm. love to know yeah and some of it i think we still might have the op you know a little bit of physical removal of a few things mm-hmm. i guess yeah, yeah like, for sure. like, like that can be pretty minimal and if it's just nickels and dimes here and there that's mm-hmm. not but the but the you know the weekly stuff i mean the amount of time and energy and effort that goes into like that that methodology and it's like you're just i don't know it's a, such a it's like an illusion you mm-hmm. know what i mean it's like the it's like the illusion of health look how beautiful all this is and the robust dense growth and it's like don't look in the back 40 <laughs> that's where like yeah. there's some there's some scary stuff things yeah. are things are up on it up on an angle trying to get the water out of them and they're just i mean yeah. my ultimate goal is my ultimate and i never thought about this as an ultimate goal at Mariah, but my ultimate goal now is for there to not be a back 40. Just not a back 40. That everything is in just... And that's... It's never... Nothing is... I'll never be able to have every tree in peak condition all the time. That's not a possibility. But could every tree be in a significant state of robust health? Could the soil surfaces be managed of compacted and broken down Akadama? Could the, you know, the growth be... um, you know, beautifully manicured, could the, could all of every single tree be void of any, you know, dead branching or dead needle? Like, I think so. I do believe that we could have, and I like for the longest time I've been like at Mariah, man, it might be nice to have a place to keep these trees that are not thriving, but it's like, but what if, what if there isn't a necessity to have a place where trees are not thriving? You know, what if that's just not something that you needed anymore? Yeah, no triage, hospital, no hospital triage, area, yeah, whatever. absolutely. Like, yeah, we got to keep this one in the shade and watch it or whatever. And I know? think it, I think it's a, I, like, I do look at bone size so much as a metaphorical tangent to like societal, be, because at Mariah we're functioning with such a large test subject group of so many different species. It, it, it does have metaphorical similarities to societal sort of differences and societal tendencies and when you look at when you look at the factory farming chemical application methodology post world war ii and you see like booms in population and there's like this propaganda of this sort of chemical input making more food and it's how we our lifespan and longevity supported by medicine and it's like yeah all of those things are true Yet it's not sustainable in the long run because it does deteriorate the power of the native system that's necessary to drive all of that, right? Whether it's the native system of the human body, whether it's the native system of the soil uh, complex that grows and produces the food and its nutrient capacity and its and its containment of chemicals, etc. And it's like, okay, so you know, when you look at Mirai, it's like there is has has been a long standing sort of discussion of instead of focusing on like medicine can we focus on nutrition can we focus on strengthening the human body can we focus on strengthening the immune system can we yes it is a transition yes it is a a shift in in uh lifestyle etc but like 
the the bonsai cultivation lifestyle at Marai over the past two years plus has shifted. Our lifestyle here has shifted. Mm-hmm. And, and when I look at my personal and like physical state of health come the end of June in 2023 compared to the end of June at any other year, I'm more healthy, motivated, inspired, and energized now with the lifestyle shift that we've had at Mirai and the change which is being fueled, and you started off by saying this, it's being fueled by the trees doing so well. It's like the momentum is there, the motivation is there, the reward system is there for the effort. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm it's nice to walk around. I'm gonna I'm (laughs) yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this. There's less stress. It's like a different there's like the stress of the stress of dealing with, and everybody knows this as a bonsai practitioner, any health issue or concern, and it just it just eats at you. And it's 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 the it's the it's the uncontrollable powerlessness like kind of feeling that we all have. But when you walk when you walk around your bonsai collection and things look healthy and they're growing it's just like yeah this is awesome yeah like bonsai is awesome when things are healthy oh, and like man. the only way we've really been able to get there is what you just described you know building going from the inside out and really like the building blocks you know building the pyramid and it's tough to do that stuff you yeah. can't you can't flip the switch just like david said there's not just a one size fits all do this and in in three weeks you're gonna look everything's gonna be awesome but yeah. it's like we put the time in and you know, and now we're actually getting to enjoy some of those benefits, which has been, it's been incredible. Well, and it, and it, yeah. And I mean like the, the byproduct of all of this, you know, David and I are talking about how we, how we streamline this for the bonsai community, how we make it accessible and available, mm-hmm. how it's all explained. Cause it's been a heavy lift for you and I, I mean, that's fig- true. <laughs> figuring out how to apply these agronomy based systems to bonsai even yeah. just the even just like the dilution ratio the proportions and not wanting to nuke things a la the compost extra. <laughs> totally I mean, yeah, yeah nobody like, knew nobody knew david didn't know i mean he had an idea like we and didn't he, know. And he was concerned too which was good it's like he he came into it as being like respectful and like let's just keep bumping the bumping the ball forward as slow and slow and steady yeah, yeah slow and steady yeah yeah, yeah. Have we known then what we know now, which I guess to your point, this can help with, you know, trying to make this more accessible for the masses. It's Mm -hmm. like we have learned and we're still learning, obviously, but um, kind of some of the stuff that he's working on trying to get. And we've been testing some of the pelletize and some of these other options that we can hopefully, hopefully get out there for people to be able to use. Yeah. I'm like... I'm like petitioning him hardcore to come and film with us so that he can just lay it all out. Just drop, just drop some knowledge. Bombs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta, it's really gotta come from him. It's, it's not our knowledge, you know, it's really gotta come from him. So he's like a lot of scientists. He's n- not super excited about being in front of the camera. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, that sounds great. Let's talk in a couple months. It's like, no, 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 Let's, we need, let's do this last week. It'd be great. God, it'd be so nice. Well, now I mean, he used to lecture. He taught in college. I mean, that's it's what like, I'm saying. It's like yeah. you know, he's a professor. Yeah, yeah, get in, get into that, get into that mindset again. And I think with with your background, you can actually help facilitate that conversation, which would make it incredibly valuable to yeah. to you can hey you can bring it back to like how a normal person can understand it because some of the things he's said, I just you know, it's like I don't. I don't know what that means, uh-huh. you know, but it's like, if you can compare it and make it relatable and accessible for people, it's like that, that's, that's unlocking 
unlocking the conversation. Well, and that's my job, right? To be a translator for the Boneside community. I mean, I, I, I do think that like with, with sort of the way that I, I do have the ability to understand the science, you know, and put it into layman's terms, but like being a, a translator, you know, of the information and making it digestible, the science digestible, I think is, is, is something that I can do. But I think uh, talking with David, it's like, um, it's like asking, it would be like asking, you know, and we went through this trying to conceptualize the beginner series that we made at Mariah. It's like Ryan Neal just can't speak that simply because that's not the way it works in my mind anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, and it's like, hey, David, I understand that there's 5 million pheromones interacting with the nutrition and that, you know, we've got this, that, and the other. And I, I, I hear you. Can you just... um can you just tell me how much nitrogen like we actually need in the plant? Like, can you just tell me like how much calcium is ideal? And he's just like, it's, it's just not that simple. It's not the way that it works. And it's like, I know, but we just, we really need to start there. Like Mm -hmm. we just really need to start at that level. And it's not the way that it works for him. So for you and I, we would walk, I mean, you would walk around with like a notepad or your phone taking notes as he's, he's talking and I'm asking him questions because I've got to be listening to what he's saying in order to be able to ask the questions that are necessary to ask. So I can't be taking notes because I've got to be listening, but you're taking notes. And then we go back and we refer to your notes to understand what the hell just happened. And yeah. that happens over and over and over And then again. we follow up on the notes because we're like, this still doesn't quite connect the dot. I mean, yeah. most of the time it's pretty clear, you know. And he doesn't like, answer the question ever. It just equals a new question or a new discussion. And it's like, oh my gosh, now we're back in this loop. And, and then he's off somewhere in the world solving another agronomical, you know, restorative, sustainable agronomical system. And it's like, see you in two months. Exactly. Yeah. Text me. I hope they do. Well, send, send tests if you got questions. Yeah. It's like, but I also, I really sympathize with David because it's like, you know, he's like, well, send a test and we can add. It's like, yeah, send us an image for the forum Q&A and I can actually give you an answer. It's like yeah, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the that's his, parallels, that's his thing, yeah. the parallels are the same for Mariah and Apical. Now you know how all the Mariah Live users feel. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Ryan, just tell me what to do. Well, and here's the, here's the thing is like, I, that is, that actually is what allowed us to be patient through this whole process. It's like, we, we do understand what that means. Like the fast, quick answer that solves all problems, the golden, the golden nugget, right? The, the silver pill, it, it just doesn't exist. Apparently not. No, it just doesn't exist. Apparently I'm sorry. I, I, I want, I want the miracle cure as much as anybody else. Turns out big pharma doesn't have it. No. Uh, industrial ag doesn't have it and uh the solution is slow and steady and steady sustainable cultivation you know of the body of the plant of the ecosystem seems like that is where the bread is buttered slow and steady yeah that's what i mean slight shift but like that was kind of what was cool about being in puglia and looking at the old olives and stuff it's just like they weren't they weren't making it complicated, you know? They were just, like, doing these, like, s- kind of sustainable practices. And it's like, we just did the same thing that everybody else was doing for 3,000 years. And it's like, 
you know, not nope. trying to force the growth, not trying to over manipulate. It got complicated. Yeah. Once it, yeah, exactly. It got complicated when modern farming practices got in and we're like, let's increase the yields and like, let's like, you know, we'll get yeah, three put this chemical on there. And then all of a sudden Xylella. Yeah. <laughs> dead, dead, yeah. boom, done. And again, it's like, we can't actually say that the olives in Puglia were killed by modern, modern farming practices, but there was a very firm divide <laughs> as we as we drove from the area of Puglia that was in a good state of health to the area of Puglia that was dead. There was like it was a line and it seemed to me that line came with a difference of farming practice opinion. That was definitely what we observed. Yes. Right? Mhm. God, that was nuts. That was nuts. Yeah. I, and there's I other, fa- there's other factors and we weren't, you know, we don't know the whole story, but, yeah, we, but there was, but that, but that's not untrue. That's what we experienced. That's I mean, what that's, we observed. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, and, and, and it's also, it was also what a lot of controversy and conflict was based around was this difference of opinion. And it, it was almost like the people that had, whose growing operations had succumbed to Zylella were like almost, you know, sort of. <sighs> resentfully optimistic that it would take out these biological farming orchards because it's like I want to show those guys that it wasn't it wasn't what I did it wasn't the choices yeah, that we made so that weird. this is an inevitable force and it's like I don't know that that's true yeah I hope it's not yeah I yeah. hope it's not I hope it's not I mean but wh- but you know for the for xylella to be so effortlessly spread. And for there to be such a dividing line and such a short geographic distance, there does have to be somewhat of a force field. And the force field seemed like it might be plant fortification. Because do you honestly mean to tell me with the amount of cars and traffic that's moving through those regions? That, through the whole country. Through the whole country, that those insects are not radically, rapidly, and effortlessly moving and biting and feeding on mm-hmm. the trees that aren't infected with it? I mean, yeah, you, that's what was confusing. You to me can't too. tell me there's no yeah. there's no mountain range geographic divide. There's no concrete barrier that's 200 feet high. There was nothing. It's all one peninsula landmass, and there was a divided line. Yeah, that was intense. That's super. That intense. was really intense. Yeah. yeah, but I I think I think like so much of this is like um, this is why you're building a wall around Mariah. <laughs> Sorry. I am building a wall. I'm, bil- I'm building a wall. It's you know what it is. It's <laughs> I might as well. The you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start walking around with crystals in my pocket. That's what I'm going to start doing. Like Steven Tyler. Good for you. Yeah, I'm going to carry the good juju with me. That's going to be my personal force field. Keep an eye on that web store, folks. We're gonna we're gonna start That's sharing right. those. Mariah, Mariah crystals is going to protect you from glycosate. Let's suck them right out of your body. It's going to absorb all the toxicity. It's going to keep you safe. Trust me. <laughs> No, the force field, the force field at Mariah, I feel like, uh, you know, is, it, it has really come with the change of lifestyle. I do. I believe it. I believe how much, how much, how much better does it, you know, and maybe this is just me mentally thinking, handling trees that have not been doused in chemicals in, oh. you know, three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. That There is something there like, am I okay to? Am I okay to be handling this? Oh, fully? Yeah. Like that's a real thing. Oh, for sure. I you was know? at I was at I was at a, a garden center recently, and they had a bunch of really badass 
contorted spruce like landscape trees and they were filled with bores and you could see the bore holes and you could see the sap frass and whatnot and the guy was like you know what man you just take this chemical you water it in it 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 takes care of the insects and it's like that first of all that doesn't happen right that's not the way that it works correct uh because those insects are feeding on the phloem not on the xylem so like that's that's a total racket in itself but more than anything it's like yeah, but I could just fish these things out and not apply and dose this tree up with chemicals and I could actually transition its nutrition and make it pretty impervious to this issue. And he had in the in this this person at the at the at the nursery was saying like, "Yes, we get these specific trees from a specific grower and his trees all have this same problem." Mhm. Now you can hypothesize how those trees are grown just by that single statement, you know, and this was, I really do feel like this was like, uh, one of the discussions around Telperion. Hmm. It's like, you knew with a Telperion tree, you had to wean it from its diet that made it susceptible, grew, grew faster and better than any other tree grown in the field, Yeah, but also had a tremendous number of, of susceptibilities and you had to wean it off of those susceptibilities, just the fact of the matter. Now, I don't see the same susceptibilities in Tom Roberts' trees hmm, at Driftwood. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I mean, have you ever seen, from this all of the trees that we've gotten at Tom Roberts, have you ever seen... Don't seem to have seen, any health issues. Right? You've yeah. never seen that susceptibility. Do they grow as fast? Do they have as big and thick of trunks? They're not. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, totally different. So you you have like these choices and decisions in bonsai. Interesting. And, yeah. and, and in and in modern agronomy in general, it's like you know, and it's it's the same discussion as like bodybuilding. It's yes, you can make your body abnormally large and muscular. It comes at a price. It's if it were sustainable, then you knew you would see, you know, bodybuilders that live to a hundred, but I don't know that any bodybuilders that, are, that have built their body on steroids have ever lived to a hundred. I don't know. Maybe they have. I, I'm yeah. throwing, I'm just throwing out hypotheses now. Yeah. Well, it does come with a nice, was it the bikini or the monokini? The monokini is the new. Is that what it's called? The monokini? That's the Borat one, I think. <laughs> I feel like that could be an interesting addition to Mariah as well. Yeah. We could brand it with the copper wire. As the summers right right over right over the yeah. Anyways, uh as the summers get hotter. Ooh. The monarchy. This could be the garden this could be the garden outfit for I the summer. I feel like it would almost be like pulling in some European vibes. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's reach out to Benda. Uh-huh. I think he could he could probably model them for we us. We could have the Triskley boys come and oh do a Triskley project in the summertime. Monokini based Triscoli project. Somebody write that down. Is anybody <laughs> here listening? <laughs> everybody else, everybody everybody else, else in the office is tuned out yeah, quite a while ago. They don't want any part of that. They don't want any part of that. I apologize for bringing that's that up. Okay. That's okay. That was my idea. That's a bad one. It's okay. Sometimes you miss. Sometimes you miss. Sometimes you know? shooters got to shoot. Yeah, shooters got to shoot. Swing and a miss. Even the best hitter only bats, you know, just 300 over 300. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just over 300. <laughs> Nearly average. No, I think uh, moving into the summer, I'm optimistic. I'm super optimistic about things. Yeah, it feels good. We just passed summer solstice. We, we, we didn't mention that. We just passed summer solstice, so we're supposed to be. Did you celebrate the solstice? I'm not quite sure what day it was. was oh. It? So I buddy. guess not. Wow. <laughs> no shit. I think it was a Thursday. I just full on airballed it Wednesday. I airballed it. Last Wednesday. Here? Last Wednesday. 
Oh, that was the day I got. That was the day I came back. Got his uh-huh. water almost. Okay. Yeah. So, so you celebrated the solstice in the top of a sequoia. Yeah, the day before. No, the uh, day before we were in Yosemite. We pulled. We oh. pulled. We pulled a Ryan Neal. You always get to sneak into Yosemite for the three times I've been to Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Still have yet to spend more than twenty four hours. Oh yeah. There at any any one time keeps it special. Keeps it special. If you spent if you spent more than two nights in Curry Village, Yosemite would feel like Disneyland. I mean, yeah. even just spending a night in Curry Village is little challenging. It's a, there's a lot of people. A lot of people. Lot of, when you wake up in the morning, because it's just like, I'm just like when I'm there with you, you roll in at midnight and mm-hmm. it feels like you're kind of like trying to be quiet and not wake anybody up. You sneak in, get a shower, go to sleep, wake up and go camp. When you wake up in the morning and you see how many people are around you, it is it is really intense. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. But just like the, we did the Yosemite Falls hike, but just like the hikes that I've done with you, it's like the farther you go up, the less people there are. So Was, there is there like, as many people this time? There were a lot of people, especially in the lower area. But you know, once we got up to the basically the top of that top of the ridge or whatever, it's like there was very few people. Mm. And we did the same kind of thing that we had done with you, where you kind of go off trail, go on the river a little bit, and just go have lunch and hang out for a while. But yeah, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat when you're up there. Ah, uh, it's it's insane, right? That that uh, that landscape. Well, and and so much water, so much water this year, so much flooding. Feeling the mist like in the little pockets when you're switching back and stuff and just getting like that mist, like, like on the mist, that, that's a very, it's like a, it's like a reward for like, keep on going. You know, you're going to feel like a, was it hot? It was warm. I mean, I think it was only like in the seventies, but it just feels hotter. Yeah, it's high the thin air huh? and the elevation. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty Granite, intense. Just deflecting all that sun right back onto you. Oh yeah. You're like in a tanning booth. Yeah, it's it's intense. It's intense. <laughs> but every time I feel like every time I feel like I can't go any, you know, you, you start to feel a little fatigued. There's always like an older gentleman with flip flops on his way down, and mm-hmm. I go, well, I, I I probably should just keep going because yeah. he seemed to make it just fine. That guy's making fun of you by not saying anything. He's making say fun anything. of you. Just, He's just like, yeah. It's happened to me the three times I've been there. I've always seen like somebody who's likely over seventy years old in flip flops on the same trail where I'm dying. Yeah. Just to remind me that I'm not in that great a shape, I guess. But it, yeah, you know, somebody's weird like that. Yeah, maybe just to remind us that we're soft as Americans we're could so, be. Yeah, typically that, they're not American. There, right? there is, there is that consistent. Right, there is, right. consistent or, or, or yeah, or at least you could tell that they immigrated here from a country where they were far tougher. They were far tougher. Yeah. They weren't soft. They didn't grow up on television. Right. They grew up on labor <laughs> turn, or something. Turn, I don't know. Turnkey turn kids. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's so good. And what was the giant forest like? Giant Forest was, was there gnarly. anybody there? Is it open or is it still closed? It was so that was open to the public. So we saw people every day, but with Anthony and uh, the Ancient Forest Society, there were forty-five trees that they're studying, and in that section, this was the end of their three-year cycle. So they did uh, cone collection and vascular samples of the xylem. Um, pre-fire during a season where they had a control burn and then this was the post-fire collection in that area but we were off trail you're kind of just doing you know there's you take a trail a little ways to get to a certain area um and then we went off trail and but it's incredible i mean we were rc and i were basically just kind of pack mules because we didn't have the the skills that those guys have to climb but you know three days of just kind of helping them out and carrying 600 600 foot of rope didn't realize how much that weighed but that's not that's, that's not, a lot that's not light that's not light yeah but it was cool it was cool being in there the trees were pretty pretty incredible pretty incredible giant sequoias quickly becoming a, a favorite i mean the more you see they're they're just they're just insane uh, some of those really old ones yeah 
But yeah, then we got we got to climb the the fourth day we were there, so that was that was fun. What'd you guys climb? They call that tree. I'm gonna say it wrong. It's like Mephistopheles, however you pronounce that. But that's the tree. Um, if you guys look at Ancient Forest Society's logo, that's what their logo is based on. That tree. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But uh, it's not the tallest tree. I mean, it wasn't as. I don't think it's even as tall as the one that I, when I went with you that last time. But uh, the branching is pretty insane, and you know, the, you know, those seven seven foot diameter branches are are pretty wild to see. Yeah. Especially you know, when you're like next to them, realizing how small yeah, a couple you are. hundred plus feet up in the yeah. air. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good experience. And and if, those guys, I mean, if you know, we've t- t- podcasted with them and talked with them before. But like, if you have a chance to support them, you you really should. I mean, I was talking with him. I got partnered up with Anthony because I was basically a ground support person, um, and asked him, you know, a lot of different questions. But one of the things is just like, who else is doing what you guys are doing? And his answer is nobody. I mean, he's been doing this kind of work for over 20 years now and the fact that you know nobody's doing what they're doing and, yeah. and nobody knows about it yeah you know it's like it's like the best kept secret i mean they, they're starting to partner with more land managers and bigger players and maybe that'll help get the word out but you know they're doing good stuff and they're trying to help help learn about these great trees and, and how to protect them and, and keep them keep them moving forward so and they're doing it in style they're doing it in style they are doing it in style that i did i did think it was funny it's like the the samples they took 10 meters up and part of me was like well we could just be carrying around a 30 foot ladder and just knocking this out but it's like oh no no why would you do that when you can you know take a crossbow mm-hmm. <laughs> shoot a, a line into the tree which this these were all pre-rigged when we got there but you were you had done that with those guys but but um instead they they physically climb them mm-hmm. which is like kind of like an intense way to like like we only get 30 feet up but like we're climbing this thing we're not yeah yeah they're cool that's very intimate it's cool work yeah climbing climbing a tree when you're up in the when you're up in one of those ancients it's like pretty intimate yeah i haven't done the redwoods yet we gotta figure that out that is that is that was you on the other project that is that is everybody's bucket list I, I have to tell you though i mean i met steen i met steen climbing the redwood which, yeah, I met Steen climbing the Redwood, and he's like, you think this is cool? You should climb the Sequoias. And then when we went to climb the Sequoias, I was like, oh, yes, this is actually way cooler. Yeah. The Sequoias, like the Sequoias are Sequoias more? Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to sneak out there. There's there's that time in uh, September, I think, that could fit in with your schedule. I think you could I think you could do it. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted uh, – so – I've tried to get to the giant forest like since we climbed the sequoias in Redwood Canyon with Anthony and Steen last year. I've tried to get to the giant forest like three times and the snow and the winter they were closed. There was flooding like I, I had three reservations on the books and all of them got canceled. So someday it's going to happen, but I just want to get there before that thing burns. Because yeah, it's scary. kind of an inevitability, unfortunately, unless unless these controlled burns sort of bear the fruit and have the financial backing, which all of those are big ifs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 a challenging it's a challenging time in uh, forest ecology right now. Yeah, I think I think they're starting to get. I mean, I think he was saying like people didn't even know maybe 60 or 70 years ago or something that fire was required for the giant sequoias to grow again. Like the seed, like the seed germination and that whole thing. And it's like people, you know, no one knew that, Mm -hmm. which is such a weird thing. It's like typical, typical, uh, 
human interaction. Like mm-hmm. we'll protect you and let nothing happen to you. And it's like, that was like counter to the counter productive. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I mean, well, and also people are like, it would be nice to build a home right here. I'm going to live in, and then I don't want my home to burn down. So don't, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. that's kind of the story yeah. of the Rockies. Honestly, like that's the, the homestead, the homestead vibe, ponderosa pine, lodgepole pine, you know, these regenerative burn species. And all of a sudden, like their scarification requirements aren't being met and then yep. the forests go into decline. And I'll never forget trying to get digging permits to some obscure mountain in Western Colorado that nobody ever went to or had any reason to go to. And they were like, no, we're trying to repopulate and we don't want people out there because that could cause fire. And it's like, I mean, even at like 14 years old, I had already read like, papers that are like yes ponderosa pine seeds must go through fire to meet their scarification requirements like you're trying to repopulate a a hillside of ponderosa pine by not letting it burn that's counter intuitive right like that doesn't i don't know yeah anyways yeah that's a that's a long slippery slope conversation but it's brutal it's brutal anyways the momentum the momentum the momentum here at bones mri Moving forward, God, the app is close. <laughs> it, I, I just have to say it. It's close. It's close. It's you're, close. I mean, you're 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 living I in it. I can feel it. Yeah, you're. You, I mean, I can. Josh is. I can feverishly I can, editing I can right in front of our eyes. It. I can taste it. Yeah. We are close. Yeah, it's coming. Trees, lifestyle, health, nutrition. We'll be breaking it all down. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Love you guys. Thanks.